Thank you for joining us for Processing Severance, the after show podcast brought to you by the Hollywood Critics Association. I'm Rasha Goel, joined by my two amazing co-hosts, Jeff Ewing. I'm going to kill your company. Okay. And Rick Ong. She's my sister? That's her baby? I love these guys. We have a lot to talk about. Episode 9 of our show, of course, following episode 9 of Severance Season 1. Before we go on, I'm being told that our board has a message for us. So uh, let's tune in to see what they have to say. I knew you could do it. Risha S., Rick H., and Jeff E., Congratulations for completing 100% of Severance Season 1. You have brought glory to this company and to me, Keir Egan. I, I love you. And now I must away, for there are others who need me around the world. Goodbye, Rasha S., Rick H., and Jeff E., and thank you. <laughs> nice. Okay, nice. why did he call me Rasha S? It's like a whole different name. Who is Rasha? Rasha S? Who is Rasha? Maybe that's my Innie? You're out. Yeah. What of you? Oh, my Audi? It's like Peggy. <laughs> I'm just so happy because it's so many people mess up my name. Aww. Aww. What'd you guys think of the board's message to us that was good very creative Thank i, I missed the eight bit i missed the eight bit flying away but it's, <laughs> yeah. i'll take it i'll take a claymation Kier egan any day like i just didn't trust that there was a board and now i do and now, now we i know. know there is a real board it exists it's amazing and there's a voice to it <laughs> Thank well, you, thank you, Rashad S. <laughs> oh, I'm never gonna live this one down. Um, so, thank all of. I would like to thank you all for watching and joining us. I just want to take a minute to express um, our gratitude from the three of us. You know, this is our last episode, so this time has just gone by, and um, hopefully, we'll be back for season two. But really, this show has been an interactive show with you and with us. We get so many emails. We've read through the emails, the comments, and you know, it really, I'm so stunned by the analysis, right? Like people really dive deep and have conversations with us in their comments. Yeah, I mean, I've been so happy to read everything you all have been saying on Twitter or the YouTube comments or by email. Uh, because you, you probably figured this out. I like to think way too intensely about stuff when I like it. And uh, it's nice to see so many really astute people have been thinking really hard about this show. Yeah. Sometimes I'll look at it, I'll read it, and I'll be like, oh, everybody's wrong unless they agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, though. Thank you. People have had some great... Uh, analytical comments, which has been so nice to see different perspectives. So thank you all for joining us. And um, we are going to come back hopefully for season two and we hope for you to join us. But let's talk about episode nine. Um, as I'm starting, I would say forget the teas and coffee, grab your glass of wine because I sure as hell needed it when I watched this episode. Not once, not twice, but three times. Thrice? And thrice. Thrice, wow. Thrice, because there was so much happening. So let me start off with the comments, guys, and let's talk about that um 
Brianna, thank you for sending in your comment. Brianna talks, uh, this is about episode eight again, and notice something troubling about Irv's Audi, which has been a, a talking point for us as well. I don't think Irv has a true Audi. I think he's been on the testing floor where Miss Casey is. A few reasons why I feel this is because I noticed he was painting on old boards very clever, old pieces of what appeared to be office board. Also, in the first shot, Irv is sitting on a bench with his dog. There's a bird flying there. Um, later on, when Heli completes her quota, Kier flies off, looking very similar to the bird that Irv saw. It gives me chills. I fear that poor Irv has been living in the houses that Petey drew on his map, the people who never leave. So I, you know, we've been talking about that too. We were trying to kind of figure out, is this housing that's provided by Lumen? Uh, is this something he's picked? I think we kind of deciphered that this is not something that, of his personal choice. Yeah, I mean, I, mean th I think that's, thank you for that, super insightful. Uh, it's it's very clear from this episode, and we, we finally get to see him his Audi a little bit more. And his life is bleak; it's very constrained, and it's very clear that he's been experimented on a lot. Because even as a severed individual, he is obsessed with drawing the testing floor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if we look at all the clues about his Audi, there is a whole purpose in. I mean, like, mm -hmm. there's a difference between him and his innie for sure. Like, there's a whole, like, process for for uh, Irv in terms of, like, why he's with Lumen. Well, okay, mm -hmm. so I think there is a difference, but I think when it comes to his personality quirks, he's very meticulous, right? He's very organized. He's very clean. He's very particular. I don't know, even from what we were seeing with the painting, even though the painting – wasn't so clean, but still, even the way he was doing it, very meticulous in his actions with everything. Yeah, you know, and, and his attention to detail, like it, it doesn't, you know, fail or falter. Right. It looks the same every time. And uh, to kind of speak to what you're saying, Rick, it's it's interesting because, well, I mean, we'll get to some of this later, but we find out that he's been, you know, very, very detailed in, in what his own Audi's plans are regarding Lumen. Yeah. Like he discovered a lot. We saw Irv discover a lot about Audi Irv. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so excited to talk about that with you. Now, like, I'm all confused. <laughs> so now we're, we're just going to go through two more comments um, again. And so many of you sent emails. So we're sorry. We cannot address all of them, but we do read through all of them. And we're so grateful um, for the compliments and the suggestions and just everything you're sending in. So thank you. Thank you so much. Mark Boyer uh, had a couple of things. And I thought what was interesting in Mark's email was... Um, Perhaps Kier and the other cultists were so obsessed about stimulating otherwise dormant pineal glands, pineal glands that they decided to do for the brain what a pacemaker does for the heart. So he's referring to the pineal gland, which is the third eye here. It's a big deal with cults, has a function that isn't completely understood, and it's associated with the third eye enlightenment, which is Kier's main thesis. Um, what are your thoughts on that? From that philosophy. It's that a one, lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's deep. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely going to take some thought. But I will say that they exhibit a lot of cult-like behavior. They've been obsessed the entire company's time with perfecting the human and eliminating everything that they don't find desirable. And they use occult imagery in a lot of their rituals that we've seen so far. So that lineage with those sorts of beliefs is definitely not beyond the pale. 
But is it a cult or is it an experiment? <laughs> I still say it's a cult. I think it's both. A cult that's experimenting. Agreed. Right? Agreed. <laughs> I just like keep bringing it up. Experiment or a cult? Which one is it? It's a combination. Um, Dave Goodhue. This is interesting. I'm bringing this up because uh, Dave kind of talks about the elevator floors. The elevator floors have floor 11 as the executive suite in which Cabell is coming from when Mark and Helly are in the security room. Ms. Cabell states that she has never met with the board, so it would make sense that they are not on the 11th floor. I love this analysis. The 12th floor says machine, which I believe that's the floor Petey had marked as mind on his map, referring to Kier and other deceased family members that make up the board. It would certainly take a machine to keep their brains going years after and would also make them literally severed from their bodies. Mm-hmm. So are they dead or alive in there? Ooh. Well, I mean, if the machines are keeping them at least somewhat like a, like an active brain trust, maybe. Maybe. Um Creep that that's creepy, honestly. I'm creeped out by that suggestion, which means I love it. Well, that's the whole but that's the whole idea, right? It's like the keeping our conscious in like a like in an AI type yeah. form. So you know, there's like that bad Johnny Depp tran- transcendence movie, right? <laughs> Where he tries to do that. So this yeah. is this might be the good ver- executed good version. version of it, which mm-hmm. we, we we won't necessarily see as of right now in this episode, but it's a good theory. I think mm-hmm. so, too. Thanks, Dave, for sharing that. I want to close this out by saying Dave says, love the show, love your pod, and I'm really enjoying your recaps and takes. Thank you, Dave, and then thank you for sharing your theory as well. Hopefully, we'll all unravel something as we talk about Episode 9. So thank you again. Um, again, our show is brought to you by the Hollywood Critics Association. If you aren't already following us, well, you need to do so on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. We've got our show and, of course, a lot of other shows. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. So make sure you're connected with us. We have lots for you. We had a special guest on this episode to share his experience with us of what it's been like working on Severance. I am joined by Zach Cherry. Feel free to say what you want to say, spoilers and everything. So I guess what I wanted to start with was the the big one is the waffle party. (laughs) And I just wanted to kind of get your take on the waffle party. Yeah, uh, that was that was a big, a big surprise. And, you know, as I was kind of like reading the scripts for the season, you know, it would be mentioned over and over. And and my character was talking a lot about how much he loves the waffle parties. And then when we get to episode eight, you find out what it is. And I was initially like, oh, okay, that that sort of reframes some things about about the discussions, you know, we were having early in the season. And uh, it, it is a very surreal sort of like eyes wide shut style like uh you know i don't even really know how to describe it we shot it you know in this kind of like creepy old house late at night uh and i and i pretty sure i think i met all the dancers like beforehand when they were you know (laughs) didn't have the masks on right right and then and then they kind of come out in these like huge paper mache like you know creepy or i don't even know what they're made of but just creepy visages of of, of a goat and an old woman and all these kinds of things. Uh, and it was very, very surreal to see, see that. And also to watch them dance in them and like this sort of eeriest moment to watch live. And I think probably on the show too, is at the very end when they kind of, they all turn their heads simultaneously. And it's this very, uh, I don't know. It's like, there's something just kind of 
unnatural about about watching it go down with with those masks on. You know, I also had just been eating these waffles and they they were cooking waffles constantly. So like the smell of waffles were in the air. It was. All, oh, yeah. It, it was all very strange. And it was late at night. It was it was a really, really bizarre evening. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, yeah, there's like this like weird sex orgy that's supposed to happen. And meanwhile, it smells like a diner. <laughs> yeah, quite a combo. Another fun scene in this series, besides the waffle party, the waffle party was the crazy one, but I would say like one of the most fun, even um, Britt said it was like one of her favorite scenes was, you know, the musical dance experience. <laughs> I was like, whatever you, how was going to set that day and like just shooting all that stuff? Well, you know, it's so funny because I've seen, I've seen a few of the other cast members mention that that was so fun, but my experience, it was fun, but like, it was very different for me because I wasn't dancing. I, for the most part, couldn't even look at anyone, you know, they're all like having a blast, like goofing around and I'm just sitting there like stewing in my own little world. Um, but it, it was a fun day. I mean, it was a couple of days, but it, it was fun just because there was so much going on and also because there was some stunt work. So that's always fun. And, you know, I got to tackle Tramel, and then right. at, near, at the end of the season, you know, which now people will have been able to see, he gets me back. So uh, it, 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 all, all of that was fun, but I, I didn't quite have as much of the kind of carefree ride as the other characters in that moment. Adults hit and stuff or whatever, but adults don't really bite. So I don't know if you feel that way, if like woman treats the employees or at least that department as children. Yeah, I, th I think they do. I think there's a lot of that. And I think it's also, you know, for Dylan, that's his first experience with that type of conflict and, and also that type of, uh, you know, um, like emotional expression, I would guess, you know, like he's, you know, we, we, we hear a little bit about how he was before Helly got there and we, we know he's been to the break room, at, you know, at least once or whatever, but uh, my guess is that's kind of his first real moment like that. So yeah, he doesn't, he probably doesn't really know how to kind of express what he's feeling. So it comes out in this childlike way. I, I think that that makes sense. So one big question that, you know, myself, my producers, my co-hosts, we all kind of had mutually about Dylan was his choice to stay back. You know, his choice to stay back at Lumen and let, you know, Helly and Mark and Irv go on and do their things. It's like, I don't know if you have your own interpretation on why he chose to do that, considering like he's the one that knows kind of like the most about his his Audi. Yeah, you know, I I, I kind of always I kind of understood it as a couple things. One is, yeah, he's he's already experienced his Audi's life and no one else has. But I also do think he's kind of going through this transformation of, of seeing himself as a father and seeing that, you know, kind of appreciating his coworkers as his sort of any family. And, and he's taking on this kind of fatherly role of like, well, now I have this responsibility to kind of, you know, uh, protect the group or, or help out the group. How did you like that scene with, you know, with Tremel with Milchek? Because, you know, clearly like, as we get towards the end, you know, he's, he finds out, he discovers that, you know, you're up to something, you're up to no good. So then he's sitting there trying to cut the, he's trying to cut the belt and everything. And I was just, you know, like, I was wondering if you believe what he's telling you, where he's just like, hey, you want to know, you know, so you're like, what's my kid's name? So you're like, do you believe that there's two other kids 
or do you think that Tramel is just, or do you think that Milchek is just saying that so that he can get Dylan to like stop doing? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I I think there's some part of me that doesn't really believe it, but I also think on this show there's a lot. Of, like for example, the the facts Miss Casey gives about the Audis, I always kind of assumed that those were totally fabricated, but then over the course of the season, you learn that there there kind of is some truth to them. Like she mentions that. Irving likes the sound of radar. And then you learn that his dog is named radar. So I, I wonder, maybe, maybe it is true, but uh, I, I think it kind of doesn't matter in the moment to Dylan. Cause he's already like, uh, you know, we're, we, we got to do this to figure out what's really going on. So, you know, like you were saying that, you know, you can't wait, you couldn't wait to get to like the, the next script after reading everything. Were there any like actual surprises for you that really stuck out? You're like, wow. Oh yeah. I mean, almost, almost all of them because, you know, I was kind of reading it just mostly for my, you know, I, I was mostly reading for Dylan while I'm reading it, like seeing what, what my character's up to. And I wasn't really kind of like analyzing it and, and looking for clues in the way I might, if I was just watching the show. So for me, every big surprise, you know, the, the, the reveal of Gemma and Miss Casey, I was like, Whoa. And uh, even the, 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 the reveal that Dylan has a kid and uh, the, the reveal of Heli uh, being, you know, the, the daughter of the, of the Egan's, like all of those moments for me were huge, like, whoa, oh my God. And then I would kind of go back and think and be like, oh, of course, this moment and this moment. Because, you know, one thing that we caught in the perpetuity episode, you know, there's this like long look between Brit and, you know, like one of the founders or Pelly, Pelly R and one of the founders that kind of was like, maybe we think that she could be an Egan, but I don't know if in the script it read like that. Yeah, you know, I don't think that specific moment did say that in the in I don't remember it saying specifically that it was connected to her identity, you know, but, and even when we were shooting it, I kind of just read it as, oh, you know, this is Heli's first trip to the perpetuity wing. And, and, you know, she's this kind of curious person who, who is just lingering on that statue. But then when I finally saw it, I was like, oh, she may be some, cause I think the moment is she's looking at her dad, you know, it's, it's her, her the current CEO is her dad. So yeah, James Egan. Right. 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 So once I actually saw it on screen, it was like, oh yeah, maybe there's some kind of leakage happening and she's rec recognizing or connecting in that moment but on reading it no I didn't I didn't catch that and I was wondering what your take is if you believe that Lumen is like a cult or just a company doing experiments maybe a little bit of both you know I I have no idea um, and I also I also didn't really ask there there were a couple moments where I like at, like I said I kind of just like only wanted to know what, what Dylan would know for the most part. Um, but yeah, I have no idea. There was, there was a moment where I thought maybe like, Oh, uh, are, are the numbers even doing anything or are they, is this just an experiment like on the refiners? But I don't think that's true anymore. So I I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on. Finally, my last thing is, is that, is there anything that, you know, that you've just like wanting to tell people, it's like saying like, gosh, you know, this is like the one big thing that I wish someone would ask me about the show that I haven't been able to been like asked and be able to tell people about it. Um, no, I mean, mostly I'm just excited for people to see the, the finale because it is 
it's pretty, you know, it's pretty intense and it, it, there's a lot going on. Um, I guess, uh, I mean, I guess I did, I did do my own stunts. No one, no one has, has asked me about the stunts yet. So in, in the finale, there's the moment where Tramel tackles me. That was, that was all me and Tramel. Uh, so that was, you know, that's a fun little tidbit. Um, but no, I don't, there, there's nothing I've been like, uh, that's been, that's been on my chest burning to get out. Episode nine, the we, we are. And before we start talking about that, can we just talk about our own waffle party that we're having here? I mean, it would be weird not to acknowledge our waffle party here. Yes. And melon. No, and melon. You're saying a waffle party and we've got the melons too and everything. Uh, You guys got your dance moves on because I'm going to be testing you later. No. And hey guys. And you know, Jeff's got his creepy mask on right now. Uh, Oh, Oh, wait. wait. It doesn't come off. To the break room you go. Well, I do have something for Jeff, though. All right, Jeff. I'm concerned. Jeff called it. So the biggest thing that happened, as we see in this show, Helly is an Egan. And Jeff had called it out. So if you guys watch the episode Perpetuity, you'll kind of see it in there. And then in our recap Perpetuity of episode three, that's where Jeff brings it up. Of course, I did follow suit and say, yeah, I did. did. You did. I knew it the whole time. But you know what you guys can do? You guys can go back and watch episode three on Apple TV Plus and then watch our thing and really (laughs) confirm it. And then watch this one again. You are the winner. And the coffee's from Rwanda. So I, I, I will tell the folks at home that um, I, I texted Rick immediately, like I called it on Helly the whole time, and he was like, "Yep, me, me too, definitely." I knew, I knew the whole that's, time. That's what happened. It was like a bunch of M's, ma, 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 and a bunch of dots. Me too. Well, okay, so it, we we got our confirmation. Helly is an Egan, and we're going to get into her scenes, but. I have to acknowledge the opening shots of episode nine, the way it is filmed. I mean, it keeps you on your toes. I'm looking at the lighting, uh, the the cutaways, each of the characters. Like, it is so brilliantly done. I almost felt like it was very theatrical, as if you're sitting in a movie theater watching it. Mm -hmm. Well, because normally when we've seen that shot, it's always them coming down the elevator. So the weird wall does its thing, or like Mm -hmm. how it stretches and everything. But in this case, they're not in the elevator. They're all in their separate places you know Helly's at the gala or yeah somewhere somewhere at the Mm -hmm. gala you know Mm -hmm. Mark he's back at Devin and Rickon's house you know Irv is at Irv's house so to see like that like to to see still Ben Stiller like do that was awesome yeah I also thought that they they really wove together because you know the characters in different places in very very different situations and it's such a good job the editing was really tight on weaving them together uh and having it be just really an elegant pace. And I, I was very, uh, I mean, the editing's been great the whole time, but yeah. this was a really hard scene to cut, and they did such a nice job. We, let's just talk, let's start off with Helly. Helly, you know, she is an Egan. Um, I love the, the words that were told to her. We want you to be nimble as they're preparing her to go on stage. And you're just looking at her face, very deadpan, just trying to take everything in. And it's incredible because I'm trying to put myself in her place as I'm watching her to think about how she must be feeling, how she's processing, because now she's in a place where she's able to observe what's really been happening with mm-hmm. her Indian Audi and just trying to soak it all in. And then for us, like as audience members, it's cool to see like as they open up that shot, we recognize Natalie. We recognize Natalie, you know, the mm-hmm. spokesperson for the board. And then there's Gabby Arteta, who Devin met at the 
the whatever the pregnancy she's also in that scene and it reminded me of you because i remember in one of our earlier episodes too you had mentioned the part about being severed and pregnancy and did that come into play in that relationship because we see her with her husband who is mm-hmm. a senator and um so then we started questioning well was she severed for this pregnancy and you can and you could see that she talks about it and she's yeah. excited about oh yeah. my three God. kids who, yeah three yeah. kids who doesn't want to be severed and she says she couldn't do it without, without the severance process so she really did think i'm going to cordon off a bit of my personality and that that innie's existence it's not really an innie in the same way but whatever she refers to it that person's existence is nothing but being pregnant I love that scene. And I'm the whole time I'm just thinking about poor Helly and what she's going to say on stage and all these random people she's going to meet on the way and how she's just, you know, I think she did such, Britt did such a great job because I felt when you look at her expression, you can see there's some anger that's building up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she's going to blow up, but it's so subtly done. Um, It's brilliant. It's so brilliant. I'm going to jump to the scene between her and her dad. Because that was a really... James Egan. Yes, that was a very powerful scene for me. In fact, I actually, you know, I, I played that scene a couple of times because I just really wanted to soak in everything he was saying to her and how this entire system um, of the Egans has been implanted and rooted in her body since she was probably born, but played a huge part in her childhood. What were some great, uh, what were some moments or takeaways for either one of you, or for both of you, actually, in that conversation? The thing I thought was very interesting was that, you know, as a child, when she found out about the severance chip, she thought, oh, this is great. Or at least as she sanitarily, you know, tells it, this is great. I hope everybody should have this chip. And like the blue, yeah, she says about the, like the blue green light. The blue green light. Yeah. She's so Mm -hmm. fascinated by it. Exactly. And and she's a child. Exactly. Right. You know, it's a shiny little toy, Mm -hmm. you know, dangled in front of a kid. But then he tells her, and this is really illuminating, that, you know, someday everyone will be severed. And that's part of, you know, Akira Egan's dream will be realized. So it's the, it's the, I think the most enriching confirmation of what we've been trying to figure out, which is what does Lumen want the whole time? And they literally want everyone to be severed and have some sort of control over who we are as people because that's what the severance chip does. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting is like when he comes in, there's a couple of things. Like the first thing is, is that, are you okay? Like, you know, he's like, he's like, he's playing the concerned father. And then he's like, I can't believe she did that to oh you. Oh my gosh. I was going to bring that up. You that know? Really yeah. yeah like, like really separating Kelly R and then Helena. Yes. Helena Egan. Like the, you know, that and he did that to you. And, and, what, and so like, what was kind of just interesting for me too, was that with the bathroom, is, you know, she's in there and then Natalie brings him in or like, you know, of course she makes sure that everything's cool. I was like, dude, is that a woman's bathroom that he's walking into right now? Right. But then if you look <laughs> behind, you see the unisex, but you see, and like, you'll probably see this anywhere and I might be analyzing a little too, too much. And I'd love to talk to a production designer about this, but if you look at the guy and then the female, you have one triangle that's going up and then one triangle that's going down, kind of like as the as the guy you know and it's and so it just kind of reminded sure. me of like the painting the painting with the triangle and like how they're always going up and down the elevator mm-hmm. so i'm just like oh that's kind of cool if like if there's like some sort of methodical like we're just gonna just kind of put that it doesn't really mean much but we'll just kind of put that as like the symbols for the man mm-hmm. men and women because it's like it's the symbolism just like throughout the show so yeah you know as you were mentioning that I, also something that stood out to me too is when heli outside of the bathroom is walking around 
and she's looking at all these images of herself and, and some of her colleagues. There's an image um, of Lu- the Lumen logo, but then it says Lumen United in Severance. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I think that was the first time ever I've really noticed that. And that United in Severance, it just really caught my eye. And I thought, wow, this, is, this just has summed up everything. Mm-hmm. And it also shows why... Milchek has been taking so many damn photos of her yes. because mm-hmm. it was for the, I mean, at least for the gala and it's all these pictures of her. Like it makes more sense. It's not just like we do the celebration thing and take pictures. It's like, oh, we are documenting you and this is yeah. how we are doing it, but without video or anything, because we don't want people to know what Heli R is like as opposed to just keeping her in photo form. Yeah, exactly. You have to keep it out of context with these celebratory moments, because if you were to take, everyday office photos it would look like you know uh the worst outtakes of office space that's like i said brochure it's a brochure (laughs) you just get the yeah exactly well speaking of brochures i'm gonna relate this more to the maps but let's jump to irving um this episode was so pivotal for irving because we were introduced to his audi a little bit you know, in episode eight, but still trying to figure out who this person is and if is there a really true innie or outie. But we saw so much um, about him, who he is. And again, see, this is where I saw too. I'm just going to throw this out there, but he's so meticulous and like perfect. His closet, his bedroom, that, that chest that he opened up, everything is so nicely laid out, so planned out for him. And mm-hmm. so that was what he was taking in with his innie too. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, there's a lot I can say. I'd love to have you guys, um, you know, share what you thought, but I felt like in this, we really got to see a lot more of who he is and how he's kind of creating his own game plan on the outside mm-hmm. uh, with this map. I did not expect to see him, uh, opening up a map with all you know with Bert's location and all these other things that we saw. Herb was the same thing for me where I had to watch it twice to really clue in. My on head's all... thicker. It took me three times. <laughs> <laughs> no, to clue in because I think, like I said, when I first watched it, it was just about okay. This is what we want. We want all the innies to be outside. So mm-hmm. we just want the story aspect of it. Now to go back and dissect and it's like you were saying the meticulousness. It's like oh well. You know, father was in the military, mm-hmm. he was in the military, so it explains just kind of all the order in everything else, too. And then it was the second time around where I was like, I was really looking more close at the map, and it's like, oh, Irv made a conscious choice to like he discovered something, his Audi discovered something, mm-hmm. so he made a conscious choice for a different to uncover something. To uncover right. something about Lumen versus Mark, who just wanted, you know, just instead Escape. of like, yeah, exactly. Okay, so wait, I'm going to let you come back to this. But the map, that's what I was questioning too. So you think it was something that was planned out ahead of time? Because I kept thinking about what is the purpose of this map? Like I wanted to get into Irving's head to think of why did he create this map? What was he looking for? What was he hoping for? Like, what did he want out of this? Jeff has some wisdom to uh, yeah, bring up about it. something. He's like, I need to talk. <laughs> no, I, I think it's interesting because it shows that he, you know, he's been keeping meticulous records of, of who the separate employees are, where he can find them in the outside world. Uh, he has a military background. He's, his Audi self is coming at this as a war. And I think that it's interesting to me because, you know, we see him when we, it takes a while to really get a look at his Audi self, of course. We don't really get a big look until this episode. But his adherence to rules 
could have from the outset meant one of two things. It could have meant either that he just loves rules and he's a good company man, or really now we can see that it's just an effect of him having a very detail-oriented brain and his Audi self, and we didn't really have an inkling of this, is using it to wage war on Lumen. Yeah. The car scene of him getting, so when he gets the keys and he, you know, we see him, he looks at the map, he finds out where Bert's home is, he's on a mission now. At first I thought, why are we showing the scene of taking the key, getting in? <laughs> like everything was really well planned out, but we are getting a glimpse of this. And then we realize that this guy maybe hasn't driven a car in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, or doesn't know, or isn't familiar with that. That's what I was picking up on because he seemed very rocky in, in, in getting into <laughs> I the car. I had this exact conversation when I when I uh, watched this at home. Uh, I watched it with my very perceptive uh, fiance. Hi, Katie. Uh, Hi, she Katie. watches every episode, <laughs> um, and she was like, "Wait, why? Why is he driving? <laughs> like, how does he know how to drive? Because they're missing so much information." And uh, I thought about, I think it's just muscle memory. He doesn't consciously know how to drive, but your body still has, because it's, it's like I've been theorizing the entire time, there's certain levels that are more instinctual and emotional that the the severance process can't really ultimately touch. Granny, he has the map, and I'm like, how does his any know where the hell to go in the town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Even yes, if like, yes. if you gave, that's like me when I first came to Los Angeles, I had a Thomas guide. I was like, dude, I have, there's no GPS here telling me go left, go right. There's no ways, you know? So same thing for him. I'm like, how do you know, even if you're looking at this map, where you're going, it's dark at night, you know? And the funnier thing is I was trying to figure out the time period for Lumen because so far we have like these old computers. With these old computers, we do have a flip phone. I don't, and even the phones that Milchek and Harmony use, they're not like normal phones. They're like some sort of like, like walkies almost, right? Okay. Their cameras are classic, traditional. And you see Irv gets into like a 1980s car. And the reason I know it's a 1980s car, it's before 85 because after 85, there's a third brake light. That's like every car has. So this is a car that he's, and like most of those cars on that street. So there's no third brake light. So that's like early 80s cars. If you see then Harmony get into her yes. car, same thing. It doesn't have the third light. So so like these cars are like 1980s cars. So I'm trying to figure out what time, I mean, there's yeah. they, they've got flip phones. That much is fine. We haven't seen a smartphone, I don't think. No. So, no. so that's what I'm trying to figure out. What time period are they in? You know, this is me just taking kind of like a little bit further just mm-hmm. to say, you know. Maybe late eight, late 70s to early 80s. Or is it that. But no, we can't, or, the computers were, I would say, more towards the 80s. So Or if, yeah. the, you know. It has to be 80s. Then. As we're looking at that map, you know, it said Kier. Yeah. So do they bring people into this town and they deliberately give them like old, all these old cars and they don't have access to. Uh, they had access to inter- the internet. Yeah. But no access to you know, like the smartphones or like whatever. So like, that's, that's why I was just like, this is really interesting. The choices of like the cars, cause you mm-hmm. don't really see 1980s cars anymore. No, sure, and and sure. they made sure to also show that scene of when Cavell's car is going and his is going the other way mm-hmm. and how recklessly yep. she's driving. Yep. Uh, but I do think uh, Rick, that's super perceptive and we don't have enough information to concretely answer just yet. But my hypothesis is that because we know from different comments that Lumen controls the majority, not all, but the majority of that little company town area. So I think they're probably my guess 
because uh, I thought about this a lot ever since Milchik was taking the, using an old timey camera for those photos mm-hmm. all the time. And the computer's old. And, and the, the computer's, computer's old. old. And the programming's old. And I think they're probably doing that thing where they're they're constricting the the technology available to the people inside their turf. Uh, so that they can keep things from leaking to the outside world. Is my, like I mean, my like guess. you know, maybe yeah, maybe they're giving them deliberately giving them old company cars too, not just the housing, but the cars as well. That's Irving, and we'll get we're gonna go back and discuss the ending shots because those were powerful. But that's a little bit on his story. Our lovely Dylan. Before I get to Mark, so oh my gosh, Dylan. I, I don't think I could probably hold out as long as he did. I mean, I love the scene of him. His arms are all over the place. He is helping his coworkers. He's really fighting the fight there to make sure that they get their job done. But I loved it. I love his expression. Um, I loved you like how he was like, y'all better be getting your shit done right now. <laughs> getting your stuff done. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he was a real hero in that episode because he w- he still wanted to know what his family life, his Audi's family life is like, but he was sacrificing so militantly and not giving an inch and he was um i almost when when i was watching it and and maybe this was unintentional but i you know there's a lot of biblical illusions and a lot of like western film and television and it kind of felt like a moses scene where you know uh moses was supposed to have held a staff until he couldn't hold anymore. And the people helped hold his arms to keep the, the the parting of the sea open so that other people could escape. You know, great observation. And that's kind of how he was sprawled out so that the, the innies could be free. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, and then we see, you know, Milchik run over there and he's trying to get in there, the belt, he's trying to bribe him. He's like, hey, man, we got, he's still, he's still being Milchik. He's like, dude, we, you, you want coffee cozies? We oh got coffee God. cozies. We'll, we every we'll, 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 get, we'll get you this and we'll get you that. He's like, come on, man, come on. Man. But you know what was so interesting in that part, too, is how he starts, uh, how Dylan mentions that he wants to know about his child. And then Milchik goes on to say, you've got two more. You, I don't you got know, three I don't, kids. You got three kids total. I don't think I believe that. I feel like that's, again, just part of the bribe. Yeah, because I, I feel like I was always suspicious of uh, all of the different wellness meeting facts because there's no way for the innies to actually verify them. And they're not going to tell you anything that doesn't ultimately benefit Lumen, right? They just right. want to pacify you a little bit. So I could see Milchek just making stuff up. Like you have, you have f- four kids and they're all honor students and one of them just won a Pulitzer and your Audi self um, cured cancer and is super famous. Like I could just see him. And what's great too about the kind of like the comedy aspect of it is like we already saw the defiance of Dylan and Milchek, you know, him like biting him and everything. So it's like, even in that scene, it makes it more funny to a degree because it's just, it's just further defiance. And, you know, he even says it, he's like, F you, you know, Mr. Milchek, <laughs> you know, like I love he says, Mr. Milchek. Yeah. It's like the Mr. Part in there. So I respect you, but, <laughs> and I love this scene with Milchek running down the hall, you know, this entire time we just see these long, narrow white halls. People are walking down them. It's always just a way of moving through, but now we're actually run. I don't know the way it was picturized the way the action was caught it was really neat to me like you're seeing him just running through this maze just trying to make sure he gets yeah. to him in time so i loved how they felt yeah, the, the urgency the yeah. urgency and everything because like now this crazy maze building that they've created to confuse the workers that are there now it's like impeding you it's know the guy for yeah for him to get to, to get right. to, you know, to say like, ah, oh, there's like, there's trouble brewing and I can't even get to where I need to go to like st- stop this. Miss Cabell. I mean, I love her. Um, I think 
even though she's got very subtle scenes, I think in episode nine, um, but she conveys her message very strongly. Like in this, you just know that she's been fired and she's still calling Melchek and saying, take care of this, get over there right now. You know, like she's so invested, like this company has defined her so much. Um, And with her power being taken away, I think she's lost a sense of who she is. And the money scene for me is when they're at Devin's house and um, Mark is leaving Mrs. Selvig and he's like, Okay, I'll be. I think he says something like, "I'll be right back, Miss Cabell," or something. Yeah. And her eyes pop up, and that's when she realizes, "Oh gosh, that you know, that's the any," yeah. and she makes a call. Because she's 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 a lot of things. She is, uh, you know, kind of malevolent. She's tricky. She's crafty. She's dedicated to the company, but she's definitely not dumb. Mm-mm. Well, she even observed it. You know, she said like, "Mark, your hug felt." You know, yes. your hug felt a little weird at that moment. He's like, oh, uh, you know, he just kind of just shrugs it off or just kind of says so. And then uh, when he has to share the the book with uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, yep. Rebecca. And <laughs> then uh, Harmony, a.k.a. Uh, Ms. Selvig. Uh, she's not, like, not Rebecca, but Rebecca. Rebecca, specifically. <laughs> Rebecca, don't mess yeah. that up. Who has a sore on the back of her head that she wants Mark to know about, so we all know about. Yes. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, uh, Harmony Cobell is like, I'm going to also look over your other shoulder. Like, just calm down. Well, so she loves hovering over him. So, I mean, we know she's got something for Mark. Because even at the end, she makes a comment about she's going to make Mark's life miserable. Mm-hmm. So there is something that she has for Mark. And it, um, and it stays true to her character, just like we've seen throughout the show. You know, like her watching it from the house and everything. You know, mm-hmm. just like, so it's just like, yeah, it's got just like further, just like another kind of just, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's like add this yeah. like little weird thing to the character because it just stays true to who she is. She's brilliant it's, at yeah. that. I will say for a minute, I did think, is she going to kill the baby? Is she going to take I, the baby Eleanor with her? Or what is, what is she going to do with the poor I, baby? I wondered, I've been yelling every episode, stay away from the baby. <laughs> and so when she's gone and we don't know where the baby is, I, I don't trust her literally at all, so. I don't either. What do you think of that scene when the baby is found? And the other guy is like, I found the baby. I, I found the baby. I did. I, I did. I'm the one that found the baby. <laughs> like, okay, guy. Uh, we don't we didn't bother to give your character a name. Just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was a great scene for Mark because that's when Mark gets deeper into finding out about Gemma. And let's talk about Mark mm-hmm. now because so much is happening for Mark in this episode. Um, I love the sense of urgency where like, you d- I just wanted to hug Mark because he so badly wants to speak to his sister and there just isn't a moment. He's constantly interrupted um, until he finally does get to speak to her. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, that takes a while and he also really wants to see a photo of his wife because mm-hmm. he's he's been wondering what his Audi's situation is like the entire time. And he's like, oh, you have that picture and you're, you have that picture on you and uh, uh, hi, hi. I would like to see the picture now. And it takes forever for either of those things to really get resolved for him. And I like how they did the storytelling in this episode for that. You know, like just seeing kind of just pop into that scene and be like, oh, okay. You know, and then mm-hmm. and they just like, yeah, like just slowly, slowly build it, build it as opposed to just like him just like grab, like, you know, like right off the bat. Because we saw that like in episode eight where they said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to find somebody as soon as we can and tell them what's going on. Mm-hmm. And here he pops up and it goes a lot slower. And right, there's other circumstances with like the book reading. And so I, I thought it was done like how they kind of 
laid out this episode and executed like Mark's part of the story was awesome. I love that you mentioned that, Rick, because you really get to take in the moment of him processing this. You know, like we get to be a part of that process with him. Like I, I felt that for him that where he's trying to take in every little nugget mm-hmm. to understand who this Audi person is, who yeah. the Audi, what the Audi world is like for him. Absolutely. Um, it takes him some time to process severance. Uh, sorry, had to. I had to. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, though, seriously, though, I think it's a really interesting uh, juxtaposition between his response and Ellie's response because Ellie's been tactical the entire th- time from moment one. You know, she gets dropped in the room in the cold open and is already looking for a way out. She doesn't waste literally one second before being very strategic. Mark has been driven by his emotions the entire time. So when both of them are kind of put into the outer world in these party situations, Helly's like, yeah, okay, like analyzing, analyzing, analyzing. Whereas Mark's trying to figure out the relationships. He's like, oh, are we friends? Is that my baby? Well, and he's finding out, and that leads us to him actually looking at the picture, um, you know, and realizing that Gemma, his wife, is alive. And to me, oh, my God, that was just, ugh. I was like, what a moment, you know, where he's right. I love the way that was shot. I love the way that it ended on him with his eyes, and you can just feel the pain. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right before he's pulled back in, he did this guttural yell. Yes. And, and I, you know, I, I feel for the character because that's going to be a huge reveal for him. And he already felt so bad for Miss Casey. Yeah. You know, and now it's going to be, he's going to have more than just questions. Oh, absolutely. And um, before you comment in, Rick, I do want to say a lot of you have sent us emails regarding Miss Casey being his wife. And um, we did cover that one of the episodes. So I, I, I don't want you to think that we forgot about that because that was definitely on our, on all of our minds here. And we did talk about that. And we're still trying to connect this all because we don't know how she's dead and alive. <laughs> how there's gotta be a body right she doesn't cremate it right exactly because they're sure that she's dead so so what exactly did lumen do also i kind of wonder did lumen you know because car crash tragedy they did whatever they did to to make her a permanent any and to hide that and make everyone in the outside world think she's dead and they keep close personal tabs on everything mark ever does at any time always so did they cause the car crash? Is this part of a greater game? Could have been because Lumen likes to control everything. Well, and then hence why Harmony is the one overlooking Mark. So the most mind-boggling thing is when Harmony gets back to the gala and she's talking with Heli. Not Helena, but Heli. Mm-hmm. You know, and Helly, and she's just like, I'm on to you. I know what's going on here. Don't do what you're going to do. And she drops all these bombs about you're going to mess up your friendships, but you'll still kind of be able to be who you are. Right. But everybody else will be like, they they're have gonna like, be in pain. Yeah. They're going to be alive, right. but in pain. Miserable. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, like she was you know? really evil at that part. Yeah. But it's almost, I think there was anger there because. 
Hallie had just said to her, I think she said, I'm going, I'm going to kill your company. Mm -hmm. And she was so like just rigid about that. Like she was so stern in what she was saying. I think that just really frustrated her because already she's been fired at this point. She has lost her power. This is her identity. Lumen is her identity. Or is it another thing? Because she cares about Mark so much, she doesn't want to see him get put into the testing room. Yeah, that, and that's why she's like saying, "Don't do this. Don't you know?" Like that's why she's trying to come mm-hmm. back and like say, "Don't do this," because she's like, "Otherwise, that whatever thing that she has for Mark, you know, like it's just like they'll just throw him into the testing floor, and everything that yeah. she's worked for, whatever she's been working on, gets thrown out the door." But is that why she was excited when he said in the last episode that he might quit? It, it could be, um, but I think that's really insightful though, because the the. You know, she has been giving him, giving him some some special treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she's run special projects that are off the books. She's done special interventions with wellness that are off the books. She's gotten in trouble for doing things that are off the books, and she's done a lot of tests with Mark, but to you know, not in the testing center. You know, mm-hmm. not whatever that traumatizing thing is they do that like eats into Irving's brain. You know, because there's always that one thing that they do in shows. And I don't know, and that's what I was trying to figure out after episode eight. Did they start turning Harmony into, let me join you guys, let me help you, and then it becomes them all together. Who, like, you know, Harmony, who we've despised for most of season one. And then, but she now she kind of starts joining, because Lumen fired her. She's bitter, she's angry, and like, you know, I gave my dedication. So now do we see maybe she starts joining them for to this next against. to and that's and that's what I'm I'm trying to figure out is like is that what's gonna happen here? I don't or know. is she's just trying to get back into the good graces of Lumen and get her job back? I think back? so, because listen, well and I will have to see what happens in season two, but we end it with her calling in Milchek saying, I'm gonna take care of this. I will fix this. She specifically says, I will fix this, mm-hmm. making sure she gets down there. You take care of Dylan, I will handle Helly. So again, she wants to make sure that she's involved in controlling this. So I'd love to see if something like that happens in episode in season two. But I think still right now at this point, she is a dedicated, loyal worker of Lumen. Right, and then you follow it too with uh, Helly's speech, where uh, she basically <laughs> says that they're not happy down there; they're mm-hmm. tortured down there. We've seen the one aspect, the Simpsons aspect, from Helly's right. point of "I will not do this. I'm sorry, whatever." But then when Mark went back in, you know, for taking Helly through all like the rooms and like running away from uh, Miss Casey, you know, then he had the red marks on his hands. So I'm like, do you get the ruler? Like, right. do, you get, do you get slapped on the ruler? Like, what's, what's the red mark we didn't version get to see that. of the break room? And so... We didn't get to see that. So we see Helly, who totally defies her father and what uh, the Egans would want her to officially say. Uh, we see, we end with Mark uh, recognizing that his wife is alive. He has seen her. And then Bert. Poor Bert. The guy um, has a one-track mind. I'm sorry. I meant Irving. I'm sorry. Poor Irving. Yeah, but, we, but I know what you're getting at, right. though. That's right. Yeah, but poor Bert, too. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a crazy out. dude, like, knocking on your door when he seems like you're very happy with your, your uh, husband, your partner, you know, we're, whatever. We're yeah, 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 right? We're, we're totally they, look pretty, they look pretty happy together in that window. Yeah. You get some madman knocking sweet. on the door. Yeah. But Irving's in love with him, and he wants to confess. Or who knows? They're Bert's 
address is on that map for a reason. There is yep. a purpose. So maybe uh, and there's and his, a, his names and his names on that list. Yes, yes. So there, mm-hmm. oh, we didn't even talk about that. The list. Like, Ooh. why does Irving have the list of everybody? Uh, my, who's been severed? My my guess, and this is just a guess, was is that he's planning to organize resistance against Lumen, and to do that, he needs to know all the severed employees. So he somehow got a hold of that list. Yeah, it's like it's like mission, it's like Mission Impossible One. He he has the knock list, you know. It's like all the and he's mm-hmm. capable of it. You know, he's yep. his background. Yep, and it's an incomplete list because you know he he had fortunate for him, uh, and kind of unfortunate too because he got his heart a little bit miffed. But he had Bert's address, and he doesn't have everybody's complete information. So oh, it's it's so piecemeal. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, it's like yeah it's like he's like a detective that he does the string with the map and everything and that's why like people like that's why that map is out the cure map is out yep. and then like he's like he's kind of plotting to say like I've got this person that lives here this person lives here and you know we've talked about the housing you know with where Bert's mm-hmm. at versus where Mark's at um, obviously you know Heliar is like kicking it at the Egan yeah she's, she's <laughs> yeah. living the life maybe she's that creep, maybe that creep like a real version of that creepy house right she's, <laughs> she's living the life. A lot happened, and of course, at the very end, our beloved Dylan gets tackled, and the machines are shut down. <laughs> and now um, remains our, you know, confusion as to what's going to happen to our beloved characters. And uh, do, what do you think? Do you think Mil- Milchek, you know, gave gave a gave Dylan a little bite, payback? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm curious to see. No, right. I doubt that. But poor Dylan. I don't know what he's going to do to Dylan. Well, I'm scared for Dylan. Like, I'm, what's going to happen in that break room? You know, how are they going to? But I mean, Milchik got bit, and nothing yeah. happened to Dylan. So I'm kind of scared for Milchik, honestly, because Dylan's ragey, and we've seen that he already snapped and tackled Milchik. Like Milchik's, you know, a, a formidable looking uh, gentleman. But uh, <laughs> he got handled, and Dylan hates his guts. Yeah. So, oh, if, if worst comes to worst, you know, Dylan will have Maybe some, he'll kill him. No, no, no. Dylan, yeah. no, well, Dylan <laughs> will have some bruises, and then he'll go to his Audi world, and they'll give him, like, a nice gift card. <laughs> He's going to get, like, a you know, you know, meal to, like, Shoney's or someplace, right? some diner. And, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, him and his at least one kid. His, right. his one kid will ask for ice eat. cream. The two other kids don't know if they exist or <laughs> not. This is where the Applebee's right. visit right. comes in. Here you go. I did want to mention one more thing. Uh, Heli's experience at the Lumen party with all of the iconography because they have all the photos of her. But then it also has Heli, a severed story, and, and the Heli's in black text with a white background, and the right below it, it's white text with black background. And it looks exactly like Cards Against Humanity cards. Yeah. Uh, it totally does, yeah. In terms yeah. of even the text on the cards. And so... Uh, it's almost like a company against humanity. I think it's hilarious that the innuendos there, right? So clear and so when you clever. Flip those cards over. It's always like these weird random things that you have to fill in yes. or whatever. So yeah, you have to kind of figure it out. Something I'm still trying to figure out is the goats. The baby goats never came back. Uh, they were never referenced. Mm-hmm. I do hope to see them in season two, but I just there's got to be something more. They couldn't have just been. I think. Uh, 
Ben Stiller is too clever, and so is Dan to just leave the goats alone. They're going to come back. Well, okay, so we've got all of season one. We've got all nine episodes, and we had like the weird introduction of the goats, and we're still dissecting Lumen. We've got like a little bit better idea, you know, like mm-hmm. Jeff, as you brought up about how everybody needs to be severed. That's mm-hmm. that's what James Egan was like saying, that's like what Keir Egan wanted. So exactly, what the hell are the goats about? I mean, I like, <laughs> you know, like instead of well, instead of is is this what it is? Instead of the goat's blood is used in that chip. No, no, no. How about this? Instead of you know how like we use we use uh, we experiment on lab rats. Mm-hmm. Maybe lab rats are too dumb, so they experiment on goats. Yeah, I, I could see that. Not, but I can I see, see that, that being a possibility. I I still think that we could be looking at uh, at the top of the company. It's all goats. And They're I the was, board? I was Maybe looking. The goats are the board? I think it could be goats all the way down. I was looking to see if Hallie's dad was three goats in a trench coat. Oh, but it that didn't look like it. now. I don't think so either. <laughs> all right, so season two. What can we expect of season two? You know, I, I was thinking about how we are left with Mark's face and his beady eyes, and he's just announced, she's alive. But... Did anybody hear him? Are they processing that? I mean, because all of a sudden, once the switches have been turned off, um, Mark's just kind of left there. And they don't know in reference of, okay, mm-hmm. she's alive. Where did he see her? Where You know, like, there's no right. context around that. Well, the good thing is that he's with safety. Like, his sister now has some version of the story. But here's the problem. When he says she's alive, remember as we left off, that they were looking for the baby. Yes. Right. They were looking for the baby. So the, that reference of she's alive is as they found the daughter. It could be for the baby. It's for the baby, not, you know, I, I think it's a, it would be too much of a stretch for Devin in that moment, like all the information that she was just given and then looking for the baby. And it's like she's alive to sit there and say, oh, yeah, your dead wife is alive. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I feel like, unfortunately, he got, he's getting cut off before he gets to actually explain any of his actual discovery, and they're not going to have the context that he had. That makes me really sad. Like, I mean, yeah, Miss Casey, Gemma, Gemma is, you know, Deachin Lockman. She is the MacGuffin. She is definitely, like, the huge MacGuffin. Because, like, now we at least have, you know, like, our big thing with with, uh, season one was, can these guys break out? Break out of being in like, and we saw that happen. And we saw that happen. So I think for season two, the MacGuffin is is that the discovery of Gemma, Miss Casey being live for the Audi mark. And I think we're going to continue to see them fight a little more. Um, the, the, the employees, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm curious to see what happens to Dylan now, but of course, because the switch got turned off, the switches, I should say, uh, got turned off. I feel like they may be stuck back into that world and they're going to come together again and try to fight it. I don't know about Heli, though, how this is going to impact her, only because now she's at this big gala. We've got introduced to her father, to all these people. Um, I don't know the implications or what's going to happen with her because of the expectations of what she was supposed to deliver at this gala. Because, well, because, yeah, because what I look at it is, is that you can't put her back in, right? No, because you know how defiant that inner, you know. So you got you got to leave her as Helena, like season two. Maybe you, you have to leave her as Helena. Then is she going to come back and save the others? Yeah, maybe because I mean they they botched the PR stunt, if you will, and uh, I don't really think that there's any going back from that. So I don't see there being a way that they can resever her and try and save the point they were trying to sell to the public. And we still have Raggedy. 
or she's you know, like, oh, she's yes. she's still out there. She's still out there. So it's like maybe she, because maybe like you know, she went and found Mark mm-hmm. because at PD she found Mark. Mm-hmm. But maybe if she goes and tries to tries to mess with Helena, she's got some mm-hmm. missing links too that we still don't know about. Yeah, like she's connection. a she's a big. I, I feel like she's a big clue, and she carries something with her that will yep. probably show us a, a larger connection. I'd also be surprised if she doesn't have some connection with Audi Irving. As well, because really? the the chance of I mean we don't have any direct evidence, but the the the, the they're they, both against the they the they and they're they're very well informed and in opposition to Lumen, and they're both very well informed people. The likelihood of them having the same purpose, right, same and not goal. having some uh-huh. knowledge of each other, uh-huh. would be pretty low. Do we think Miss Cabell will be hired back into the system? You still need the bad guy. So if it doesn't go the way that I, th- I was saying earlier, then absolutely. And she's and Patricia Arquette is such a Patty Arquette. Okay, she's such a good. <laughs> Rick is stuck <laughs> go on to her, her Patty. Go to her Twitter. It says he at Patty Arquette. Me, did I call yeah. her Patty? <laughs> you know, so no, but she's such a good evil character that you know, like I don't want that join the and be the hero scenario. Like I want her to still be that There's, that well, evil mastermind. Be, because you know what. At the end of the day, they're going to look at the fact that Milchek got there in time, right? So that credit comes back to her for calling in. True, but I do think it's a little more ambiguous because she didn't prevent Heli from sabotaging their PR event uh, in front of... Because she was talking to Heli and then Heli got pulled in on stage. True, but they're not going to be that empathetic to the fact that she failed... And they still haven't resolved the fact she's been running stuff on the side. So I mm-hmm. think it's also possible a third option, they could sever her. Could be. As part of their master plan experiments. And we still don't know who Charlotte comes No, is Jeff, either. I still like my theories, okay? <laughs> she's either the evil mastermind or she joins him. There is no severing. I think, she, I think severing. she's gonna be the evil uh. mastermind and we're gonna find out who Charlotte Cabell is or what mm-hmm. the relation to Charlotte Cabell. I mean, where Charlotte Cabell fits into what, this Watch, you know, that she's probably some, like, red-headed stepdaughter of the... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's insane. But I think we have had a lot of fun. And um, because of how amazing both of you are, you get a watermelon. <laughs> and you get a watermelon. And you guys get to take that home. And that's your prize for today. <laughs> I want I want a sexy dance. Where's my not not from you, Rasha, but I want a, no. I want like the, the weird people that give Maybe me the sexy dance. We can we can have our behind the scenes uh, crew do the sexy dance for you. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, speaking of, before we end the show, thank you so much for joining us this season. And listen, the conversations continue. Just because season one is done, uh, you can still come back, share your comments, go back and watch the episodes. Maybe something else will come out. We'll be back hopefully for season two, and then you can share more of your insights. So once again, thank you for joining me, Rasha Goel. Rick Hong. Jeff Ewing. On Processing Severance, the after show podcast brought to you by the Hollywood Critics Association. Uh, This has been so much fun. I'm taking home a waffle. You guys make sure you get yours. Thanks for joining us.